you weren't hurt here last week, I saw several people falling asleep. And so I decided that I would wake you up. And so it looked like, but very intentional, that I set this stool right here and with my Bible, and, the, and it began to fall, which then hit this table, which had communion, and it fell onto the floor and made a mess. And it woke everybody up. did exactly what I was hoping it would do. So, because of, of this intentional accident, um, someone decided to give me orange cones uh, at the front of the stage. Let's move into our next step. You need to repent. Let's pray. Okay. Mark is like, yes, yes. That, is that all it takes to get a short sermon? Just put cones at the front of the stage? Okay. Uh, so this will obviously, um, I'm a hazard now. Uh, and, and so this will keep me safe. Um, I thought there would actually be like yellow tape, and, but this is, this, this is fine. Yeah, they were, okay, people were looking, looking for something more than this. All right, yeah, dog gate, I was, okay. All right, well, we come to the last sermon in our series this morning. Um, we've been on a, a, a journey through Psalm 104, 105, and 106. We've called this series, Sing Your Story, believing that if we learn how Israel sang their story, it might teach us as Christians how we sing our story. And here's the summary we've looked at every week, so let's just take a look at it one more time. Psalm 104, 105, and 106 make, a, make up a three-part song that tells about God's greatness in creation, His faithfulness to His people, the wickedness of their rebellion, and the hope of salvation. So we started off Psalm 104 where we declared, the Lord is creator and sustainer. He's making the sun come up in the morning. He is keeping it all together. He is creator and sustainer. Psalm 105 then moves into that part of Israel's story where God has been faithful over and over and over again. And then we even came at that psalm from another angle and even acknowledged that not only is the Lord uh, faithful, just in general is He faithful, He's faithful even in the midst of our suffering and our waiting. He's right there with us and He doesn't let, he doesn't let go. But then that last part of the song, Psalm 106, last week we noticed that even though God is both Lord and He is Creator and Sustainer, He is also faithful, even in the midst of suffering and waiting, all of it in Israel's history, there's also this dark side, the underbelly of their history. It is their rebellion. Even in their faithfulness, uh, in His faithfulness, they rebelled. They rejected His faithfulness. And so Psalm 106 is largely a confession. It is a confession. It is where Israel sings their confession. They tell of their ancestors rebelling against the God who not only created and sustained them, but has also been faithful. And there were three parts to that confession, if you remember. Take, let's take a look. These three parts are, were part of the confession. It was a rejection of God's goodness. It was idol worship. And then it was an acknowledgement, too, that God's wrath is a reality to all those who commit treason against Him. And those were those three parts that we, we looked at last week as we noticed the confession, the weight of the confession. 
And so just to represent the kind of the content of the, the confession, let's just take a look, 106, Psalm 106, let's just take a look at verses 6 and 7. Here it is. This would be representative of what we read last week. Here is them singing their confession, we have sinned, even as our ancestors did. We have done wrong and we've acted wickedly. When our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses. And they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. God was faithful, but they rejected that faithfulness. They forgot who God was. Not only their ancestors did, even them in their, even they in their own day, they were rejecting this God of faithfulness. And so they're singing that confession, Psalm 106. But remember where we ended last week? We didn't end on sin and wrath. We ended on God's mercy. And running through this large confession are these moments declaring God's mercy. And right after verses 6 and 7, we see verses 8 through 12, a section we actually didn't read last week. I saved it for this week. Right there, after declaring that they have been unfaithful, that their ancestors rejected their God. Right, right on the heels of that confession comes verses 8 through 12. Take a look. Even after the people rejected him, here's what we find. Psalm 106, 8 through 12. Yet, he saved them for his name's sake, to make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea and it dried up. He led them through the depths as through a desert. He saved from the hand of the foe, from the hand of the enemy, he redeemed them. The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them survived. Then they believed his promises and they sang his praise. Even in their rebellion, God was faithful and he showed great mercy and he saved them. And they sang about it. Now, it'd be great if that's where it stopped. But you and I know, after walking through the rest of this psalm, this wasn't the end of the story. Even after being rescued from slavery in Egypt, what did they do? They kept rebelling over and over again, rejecting God's faithfulness and His mercy. And it got real bad. And we'll just pick a few verses to represent how bad it really got. We'll pick verses 6, 36, 37, and the last part of verse 43. Here it is. They worshipped their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to false gods. Many times He delivered them. They were bent on rebellion, and they wasted away in their sin. They got to the point where they literally were giving up their children to the idols. They would sacrifice daughters and sons to things made out of hands. And even when God was faithful, they rebelled. And so that's where we ended last week. We ended, literally, in terms of Psalm 106, we ended at verse 43. That God, that God left them there in their rebellion. Now, the thing about Psalm 106 is, the, the Psalm 106 actually doesn't end at Psalm 43. It goes on, verses 40, 44 through 48. So that last section of Psalm 106 doesn't leave us in the people's rebellion. They don't end their song... They don't end their song declaring their treason. They end their song in a different place. There's two, two parts. There's two parts to that final section of Psalm 106. So we have verses 44 through 46 where the people sing about even after their treason, their high treason that they keep committing over and over again, they then declare 
that God has been faithful to His covenant. He remembered the covenant. He has remembered them. And so they remember, they remember in the past God has, God has delivered them. Even after all that rebellion. Here it is. Verses 44 through 46, the first part of this final section of the psalm. Yet, He took note of their distress when He heard their cry. And for their sake, He remembered His covenant. And out of His great love, He relented. He caused all those who held them captive to, to show them mercy. And that's, that's that first part of the final section. Even in all of their rebellion, even in all their rebellion, God remembered the covenant. But what about, what about the Israelites singing at that moment? Because this is a psalm for the present. Well, that's verse 47 through 48. And verses 47 through 48, they don't just remember God's faithfulness, they cry out that He would do it again. That He would save them like He has done in the past, that He would do it again. It is a cry for salvation. Maybe we call it a hope for salvation. Take a look. Verses 47 through 48. Here it is. Save us, Lord our God. And gather us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. It's a cry. It's a cry for salvation. Once and for all, bring the nations together. Vindicate your people. Finally, bring the end of the age where salvation comes to your people and all nations. It's a cry for salvation. It's not just what you did, God. It's what we want you to do. That's how they end the song. And so here's how I'd summarize right, right here at the end. The people end their three-part song with a hope for salvation that God would save them once and for all. That's how we end. Right there. Now what, the, what, what we need to realize is that this is not a vain hope. It's not like they were singing for for a future salvation with no hope it would ever come. They knew God had been faithful in the past, and so they declared and they sang at the end of the song, do it again once and for all, save us. And it is not a vain cry, not a vain part of the song, because what we know, this side of the cross, is that God did save His people. Now what they did not know is that that salvation would come at a great cost. Forgiveness always comes at a cost. Always. What they did not realize is how costly forgiveness would be. Now, just so we can get the sense of what we're talking about when we talk about the costliness of forgiveness, I want to read at length a section out of the book, The Reason for God. Tim Keller, a former pastor up in New York City, also a professor. In this book, The Reason for God, he describes the costliness of forgiveness. Take a look at what he says. Imagine someone robs you of some happiness, reputation, opportunity, or certain aspects of your freedom. No price tag can be put on such things. Yet, we still have a sense of violated justice that does not go away when the other person says, I'm really sorry. When we are seriously wronged, we have an indelible sense that the perpetrators have incur incurred a debt that must be dealt with. Once you have been wronged and you realize there is a just debt that can't simply be dismissed, well, there are only two things to do. Well, the first option is to seek ways to make the perpetrators suffer for what they have done. There is another option, however. You can forgive. 
Forgiveness means refusing to make them pay for what they did. However, to, re- re- to refrain from lashing out at someone when you want to do so with all of your being is agony. It is a form of suffering. You not only suffer the original loss of happiness, reputation, and opportunity, but now you forego the consolation of inflicting the same on them. You are absorbing the debt, taking the cost of it completely on yourself instead of taking it out on the other person. It hurts terribly. Many people would say it feels like a kind of death. Have you ever felt that, by the way? Have you ever felt that? Yeah, I felt that. It hurts to not get revenge because you eat the pain. But that's what forgiveness looks like. And interestingly, the prophet Isaiah had a vision that one day God would do this very thing. And the Jews, all the way up to the day of Jesus, never grabbed the weight and the reality of this passage. You may know what I'm talking about. It's the end of Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53. We'll just pull a couple verses from Isaiah 53. A vision of what God one day would do to absorb our debt. All the wrath we were due, He would take. He would send His Son to die for us. Here it is, Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6. For He was pierced. This is this coming person was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him, and by His wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. That last verse really gets me because you and I are the ones that went astray. What do you, what's, why lay it on Him? Lay it on me. I'm the one that is convicted of treason, not Him, but in the economy of God, wrapped in His love. He took it. This person would be Jesus. This passage itself is a major passage for the early Christians. You know, the Apostle Peter spent a lot of time with Jesus. And Jesus did a lot of explaining about how the Old Testament said that the Messiah would one day have to suffer, die, and come back to life. I am sure that in all their discussions, this passage was part of their talks. And one reason I know that is because in 1 Peter chapter 2, he quotes it directly. Take a look. 1 Peter 2, verse 24 and 25, he writes this, He himself, this is Jesus, He himself bore our sins. In his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. That cry at the end of Psalm 106, this hope for salvation, it comes in Jesus, but we should never forget. That the salvation that comes to us was paid on a Roman cross by Jesus, God in flesh, who came, humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He took that wrath we looked at last week, all of that wrath we were due because of our treason, all of that gossip that we deal with even today, all of that hatred of certain people, all of that thinking that we really have it together, all of that trying to be God, all of that that we really need to be punished for, it needs to be dealt with, all of it was taken on the cross. In His body, He took on our trespasses. 
And so that call for salvation is a call that would come with a price. And my, we don't like talking about that. Now we do as Christians. Well, if we do as Christians, but in general we don't like talking about having things wrong with us. It definitely don't like talking about having a debt we have to pay. But this is the nature of the salvation we have. And so that is, becomes our song as Christians. Like I want to be very clear, this is our song. We don't just sing about a hope for salvation. We now sing of our salvation. Here it is. I just want to summarize how this all plays out for us. The people of Israel, well, they ended their song with a cry of hope, a hope for salvation. The song of the Christian is that salvation has come through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Do you remember there was this moment where Jesus was talking with the Pharisees and he said, you study the scriptures, you study Torah, you think that studying the scriptures that you will have life. But what you've missed is that the scriptures talk about me. Isn't it interesting that we're ending the series with Jesus? You could, we couldn't end it any other way. Psalm 104, 105, and 106, the song of Israel, the song they sang of the Lord as creator and sustainer, of God as faithful, no matter what you're going through, a song with confession that it would bring us right up to the cross and the resurrection that is our salvation. That's where it would bring us. Now, Paul, Paul has a way of taking these big truths and writing them in a way that we can grab onto. And so I just want to remind us, if we had to sing our song or maybe put it in prose, this would be a really great passage that could summarize what we're saying. Ephesians 2. I'm just taking an excerpt, okay? Those of you that know this passage, you know I am, I'm gutting it and I'm reducing it. You're going to see that verse 10 is not there. So don't come up to me afterwards and say, you didn't quote the whole passage. I know I didn't quote the whole passage. I want to get the sense of our story here. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. We're reading out of the New Revised Standard Version. You were dead through the trespasses and sins which you once lived. Following the course of this world, following the desires of flesh and senses. And we were by nature children of wrath. Like everyone else. But God who is rich in mercy, out of the great love which, with which He loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It never gets old to sing this song. It is by grace you have been saved. Did you mess up this morning? Did you have trouble getting to church? Your spouse do something you didn't like? Was your kid annoying? Now, George, you need to stop giving me these facial expressions. I'm, I'm sorry, Jenny. I'm sorry. I'm sorry what you have. I mean, I'm trying. I know. I know. I know. Y'all stop that. I mean, I'm just trying to use some generic illustrations here. It becomes very clear something happened in that home. <laughs> daily. Daily. If you messed up every day, you need, this, you need to sing this story every day. I'm pretty sure you need this song every day. You are saved by grace. Not because of something good in you, but because of the goodness of Christ now given to you. The big theology word for that is imputed. It has been imputed to you. His righteousness now given to you. And now we live out of that righteousness and we bear fruit. But don't ever forget, it is by grace. It is by grace. That's your salvation. All right, so let's make some application. Here it is. 
First application point here is we're not as good as we might think we are. Like, I don't know if I need to say a lot on this. Do you know when we typically think we're really good? When we gossip. Now, I'm not saying when you're acknowledging something that's really wrong in an environment in which you're living. There are some things that need to be called out in a workplace, in a home, in a neighborhood, and they need to be called out. And when you're talking about them, that is not gossip. You're dealing with reality. But there's a moment we all, we all know when it happens when we slide into maligning someone, making assumptions of people. And what happens when we gossip or we talk bad about people? Who feels good in that moment? You do. I do. I love gossiping. It makes me feel good. It's easy to call someone else out and not look in the mirror. Why do you think Jesus told us to make sure to always get the log out of our eye before we try to take the speck out of someone else's? Again, we could go many directions here, but I think a key principle is the moment you start feeling really good about yourself. Now, I'm not talking about feeling like a sense of pride when you've worked on a, you know, you've done a, you've finished a home project. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you start thinking that you've got something, you got, that you deserve something from God. Just remember, you are, and I am not as good as we think we are. That always needs to be kept in check. All right, second thing. Second thing I think we need is that we need to realize that we're not the center of the universe. God is. So it kind of ties in with the first one. Um, just to be clear, uh, some, of, uh, the, some of the ways that we start to think we're the center of the universe is by the things we watch and we listen to. Um, I just have, a, I have the opportunity uh, with teenagers in my house to hear trending music. Um, and it's not much different than when it was trending in previous generations. Do you know what most pop songs are about? Me, myself, and I. And how I'm feeling. Or what I want. It's typically just about me. You know what most TV shows get me thinking about? Me. And I'll tell you what most commercials do, or ads in social media, they get me to think about me. This world is set up so that I am always thinking about me. Do you know what song we're going to be singing in the end? It's not going to be about me. And it definitely won't be about you. It's going to be about Jesus. It will be about the Father. Take a look. We get a glimpse of this. Revelation 4, 10 and 11. Here's what we're going to be singing about. The 24 elders fall before the one who is seated on the throne and they're singing, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will, they existed and they were created. Sounds a lot like Psalm 104. We'll be singing about Him. We're not going to be singing about us. We're going to be singing about Him and what He's done for us. We'll be singing about Him. And then Revelation 5, 11 and 12. They looked and they heard the voice of many angels and they're singing with a full voice. Worthy is the Lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. We're going to be singing about Jesus. We'll be singing about the One who took on our trespasses and saved us, who came back from the dead, now exalted. We'll be singing about Him. Listen, I don't got a problem with pop songs necessarily. But in the end, we will not be singing Shawn Mendes. We will not be singing Ed Sheeran. We won't be singing Van Morrison. We won't be singing Lee Greenwood. We'll be singing about Jesus and His Father who created all things. That's what we'll be singing about. 250 years ago, a former slave trader who came to Jesus, repented and came to Jesus, 
he, he had a sense that he had to get a song out of him. And he put into words a song that I think is our song, if you had to put it in modern terms. Maybe you know who I'm talking about. John Newton wrote this. He wrote, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. The blind now I see. You know, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. That's what we'll be singing about. That's our song. The series is called Sing Your Story. That's your story. That's my story. Anyone in Christ Jesus, that's your story. So here's the next step. The next step is to listen to the hymn, Amazing Grace, each day and sing your story. That's it. And I imagine all of you can figure out a way to make that happen. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your amazing grace in Christ Jesus. As children called by God, not just by human will, but by your will. Called into this relationship with the Savior of the world. We acknowledge it is by grace we are saved. So help us to bear fruit, to be kind to people, to use our words appropriately, to build people up. But all of it based on our story. We sing your amazing grace. And so now go with us into the week as we sing that song. We are so grateful for Christ and all he has done for us. And together we pray under the authority of Jesus, who is Lord, Savior, and the smartest person who has ever lived. Amen.